Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. Hi, this is uh, Spencer Knight. This is Matt Boldy. Hey guys, this is Cam York from Team USA. Hello, this is Tim Stutzler. Hi, my name is Noel Gunnler. I'm Alexander Holtz of the Team Sweden. Hey, I'm Dylan Cousins. Hey, it's Phil Tomasino. Hi, this is Devin Levi. Major Junior. Looks back to the point, turns, fires, scores! What a shot! First OHO goal for Shane Wright. Right circle, shot, scores! Connor Bedard has arrived here at the Brad Center, is first in the Western Hockey League. NCAA. Save! Watch out! Watch out! UMass are national champions! The NHL Draft. I am Slash and Kosa. This is Don Gunther of the Emmett Snow Kings. This is Luna McLoom from UGarn here. Hi, I'm Brent Clark. Hi, uh, this is Matt Coronado from the Chicago Steel. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Moosehead. Hey, it's Paul Stones with a two-fall stampede. This is Fabian LaSalle. I play for Lulio. Hey, it's Corson Kuhlman from Brooks Bandit. Hi, this is Chaz Lucius. This is Logan Sandkoven. I play for the Camels Blazers. It's just Wolfis from uh, Lulio Hockey. And more. Bring it! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. In fact, it is the season 17 finale episode, season finale of the Pipeline Show this week. I don't know if it's going to come across in the recording of this, but they're doing some sort of work outside the building that I'm in right now. And it is, uh, it sounds like there's a jet engine taking off. It's really loud. So I apologize if there's some background noise. I'm going to keep this uh, intro segment fairly short. First off, program is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. That is Alberta's best beef jerky, now with three locations in the Edmonton area. One, the original in Leduc, the second one in Spruce Grove, and now a kiosk in West Edmonton Mall, right in the middle of the hallway as you uh, are slightly east of the Ice Palace. Can't miss it. So if you're walking around West Edmonton Mall, grab yourself some beef jerky, tell them the pipeline shows, and you will absolutely thank me for it. I guarantee it. Just some quick news and notes, uh, and uh, at this time of year, there's not a whole lot going on outside of uh, teams getting ready for the start of, of the Holinka Gretzky Cup, which gets going officially on Sunday. That would be July 31st, uh, down all of it in Red Deer at the PV Mart Centrum. Three games on Sunday, you see uh, Czechia against Finland, the United States will play Germany and Canada, the host will take on Switzerland. Monday games have uh, Sweden and Slovakia, Finland against the Americans, Germany against Czechia on Monday, and then uh, just the schedule plays out for the rest of the week. If you're down in the Red Deer area, go check out some of the Linka Gretzky Cup, and uh, while you're in Red Deer, stop by the tap room for Troubled Monk. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk hotline, and uh, these days it is a, uh, while well, we are in the heat of it in the middle of summer now, end of July as I'm speaking with you, it's 30 degrees outside and probably uh, 35 degrees in the room that I'm sitting in right now. It is a uh, sweat box in here. I can't think of a better thing to go with a hot day than a cold, delicious craft beverage from Troubled Monk, whether it's a beer or spirits, or maybe you're just a person who enjoys a nice craft soda. Troubled Monk has got what you need. Check them out online at troubledmonk.com shop. Elsewhere in the news, well, the U20 team... For the 2022 World Junior Championship, uh, they'll be gathering in early August to get set for the tournament. Uh, but the 2023 team is practicing. Actually, they're playing against the 
Holinka Gretzky Cup team, which was uh, an interesting twist. I think that was really nice, the way that that worked out. The U18s beat the U20s in Game 1, 6-4 the final in that one, but the uh, half of the U20 camp, they got together and uh, beat the U18s 3-1 in the rematch on Wednesday. So the uh, Holinka Gretzky Cup team is ready to go, and the 2023 U20 squad, they're having their camp right now, and uh, of course they don't name that team until December, but guys trying to make an impression for Hockey Canada right now. Speaking of Hockey Canada, well, all the news there is not good. Unless you've been living under a rock, uh, just uh, go to TSN or search up Hockey Canada on social media and you'll get a, a barrage of uh, articles of what's happening right now. And it, it, to me, it almost seems inevitable that there's going to be a, a clearing of executives from Hockey Canada and uh, a new New group will take over. I don't know who that will be, but a lot of names being floated out there. Sheldon Kenny, I think, would make a lot of sense, though, as a guy who has uh, seen the ugly side of the sport, for sure. I don't see the downside of having someone like that involved in rebuilding Hockey Canada. And I know there's been a lot of people who are suggesting that they should get some women, female representation in there, and I don't see the downside of that either. There's lots of smart women, and I'm sure a positive spinoff with that, of that would be uh, helping to grow the, the women's game as well. So we'll see where that goes. I'm sure that's not going to be resolved here in the next couple of weeks. I'm not sure what the uh, spinoff will be, the spinoff effect or the, or the cause and effect will be for the 2022 World Junior here in Edmonton in mid-August, whether there'll be some sort of boycott from, from fans or, from, I know, sponsors have already. Uh, a number of them have pulled out. Uh, as far as I know, the tournament is still a go. I know I've been asked several times about, you know, are you going to go or are you boycotting? I'm like, well, I, I kind of got to go if I want to talk to some of these players. It's it's my job. It's what I do. The, the guys who are playing in this tournament have nothing to do with uh, the sins of the past. So, yes, if I get accreditation, uh, I will be there. I don't know how many out-of-town people are flying in or not, uh, but I hope to see some of my uh, colleagues from around the world. And for once, they'll get to see Edmonton uh, at its best, as opposed to in January when it uh, could be and has been minus 30 or minus 40 degrees outside okay other than that i am going to move on here's the guest list for today i have three of them for you they are going to close out season 17 we're going to start with ryan kennedy we're going to talk about the holinka gretzky cup and the summer world junior championship but mostly what we're talking about is this new junior league he wrote this story for the hockey news i want to say a month and a half ago maybe even two months ago about a uh, new a junior league uh, for the west coast in the united states you know, it's something that I've talked about here on the Pipeline Show many, many times before. Well, it seems to be getting closer to a reality. So Ryan Kennedy is going to talk to us about that. From there, a conversation with a friend of mine who, his name is Alan Mitchell. You might know him better as Low Tide. He is uh, an Edmonton Oilers uh, prospect aficionado, and he is uh, writing a book that is coming out this fall all about the Oilers and the NHL draft. So, uh, that's the tie-in here for the Pipeline Show is that it's uh, very draft-orientated. Uh, and Al, he's a, he's a great guy, a really fun conversation. He will be guest number two. And we will close out Season 17 with the new head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, Luke Pierce, trades whistles as he goes from the assistant coach to the head coach as Brad Lauer moves on to the NHL, hired by the Winnipeg Jets. Luke Pierce taking over the bench for the Edmonton Oil Kings. So we will have that conversation with him as well. I think you'll enjoy all three of my guests. They're really fun conversations uh, with all of them, informative, 
and uh, entertaining uh, and a great way to end Season 17 here of the Pipeline Show. We will kick it all off with Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. He's up first. This is the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Guy Flaming. Be right back. Back off to the near side. It comes for Winters. Down low, takes the return. Winters, cross ring, shot, goal! Ingram again. Hey, this is Adam Ingram from the Youngstown Phantoms, and this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with... If one of y'all says some silly-ass name, this whole class is going to feel my wrath. Gee Flaming. Son of a bitch! Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, W-I-L-H-A-U-K beefjerky.com. Longtime listeners of this show have known uh, my feeling that uh, there could be room for more junior leagues uh, in the uh, western half of the continent, and uh, I've I've said for a while that the WHL may be a little too big as it is. Cut it in half. You got the two conferences already who barely play against each other. Uh, form a form a fourth CHL league. Call it the Pacific Hockey League. Start expanding south to get to the players in the western United States. Well. Somebody may have uh, beat everybody else to the punch here. As uh, Welcome back to the program. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News. Uh, Ryan, welcome back to the program. How are things? They're great. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, I appreciate you making the time here in the uh, offseason like this. And I wanted to touch base with you because you wrote this story that appeared in the Hockey News a couple of months ago. And it's very much about a, a West Coast uh, Junior League. Uh, that is potentially, well, as you uh, wrote in the article, on the horizon. Now, tell me about this league. Who is uh, the man behind it? How far away are we from this actually becoming a thing? Yeah, well, you know, the idea is for them to start for the 2023-24 campaign. So they still got a bit of runway here. And it's uh, headlined by Ben Robert, uh, who's from Montreal originally. Um, at one point, he was one of the co-owners of the USHL's Omaha Lancers. This was back when Luke Robitaille and Mario Lemieux were involved. Right. So obviously, he knows those uh, legends. Uh, he was also uh, part of the group that got the Videotron Center built in Quebec City, where the Q's Remparts play. And as I'm sure you know, that's just an incredible building. Uh, you know, they're waiting for an NHL team. In the meantime, uh, they just watch games as if they were in NHL city. Um, so this is something where he's been uh, living in California and, you know, saw a need where, you know, obviously we've seen a ton of growth uh, in the sport at the grassroots level uh, in the past, you know, 20 years, I would say, you know, the sort of Wayne Gretzky revolution, all the kids have now, you know, grown up and uh, there's not a lot of places for them to play after a certain mm-hmm. age. Um, so the whole idea here is let's keep these kids closer to home. It's going to be similar to, you know, junior A in Canada or the USHL or NHL in, in the U.S. where the players would 
keep college eligibility and the whole idea would be to, you know, to prepare them and try to get them, you know, spots on uh, college teams. And, uh, you know, obviously still a lot uh, being developed, but, you know, NHL teams uh, have voiced their support for this. Uh, teams like the Los Angeles Kings, San Jose Sharks, Anaheim Ducks, Vegas Golden Knights uh, have already endorsed it. And I, I know there's more teams uh, in that region uh, who are interested as well. So, I, I mean, to me, it, it's fascinating because, you know, the more hockey, the better. And, you know, if you can keep these kids sort of close to home, that's always nice too. What would the response be from a league like the USHL where all, all these players from California and, and up and down the, the West Coast like that, they'll, they're either going to the WHL or to the USHL, most of them uh, to the USHL right now. This would be a competitive league for them. What would the response be from that league? Well, you know, I, I would imagine that, you know, as you mentioned, it, it certainly will be competition. And I mean, if you're a USHL team, then I, I think you need to sort of state your case and say, okay, well, you know, we believe this is the right place for a young player. You know, we can provide, uh, you know, a, a track record of success and you can look at, you know, just all the, the great players that have come out of the USHL, Johnny Gaudreau, obviously being in the news lately. Um, interestingly enough, uh, you know, the, the geographic footprints wouldn't really overlap here. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the USHL, it's very much Midwest and kind of heartland USA you're looking at, you know, Nebraska kind of being the the westernmost um, locale for the USHL. And then, of course, you're going east all the way to Michigan and, and Youngstown, Ohio. Um, it is also interesting to note that uh, another person involved with this new West Coast League is Tom Garrity, who recently was the commissioner of the USHL. So obviously, there's, you know, there's going to be some crossover in terms of knowledge bases and you know who knows uh what the future will hold in terms of coaching staffing that sort of thing uh you know that'll get sorted out closer to the time but um obviously there's there's interest from some some heavy hitters out there now i know i had floated this idea a, a few years back about uh, what i said at the start about splitting the whl in half and having alberta saskatchewan manitoba remain as the whl and have bc and the the five franchises in the United States and start slowly expanding south uh, to be the uh, the PHL, the Pacific Hockey League. I was told the biggest hurdle to that wouldn't be finding owners; it would be finding facilities. Where are these teams going to play uh, in the what is proposed as the West Coast Junior League uh, in uh, in California in that area? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's certainly one of the challenges and, and something that they probably have already been scouting out. Um, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see. I, you do have some AHL rinks in these areas where, you know, if you look at the AHL schedule, it, it, it's a typically a weekend league. Um, I, I mean, I suppose that would be best for a junior league as well because you have the kids in school. But, you know, if I'm looking at a place like San Diego, for example, or even San Jose, where you have, you know, both the Barracuda and the Sharks, you know, you've got people there that can, you know, help you out in terms of the logistics. And, you know, just I'm obviously speculating here, but when you're starting this out, you don't know how much of an audience you're going to have. You know, can you find yourself starting off the league in a place where the capacity is only 1,000, 2,000, uh, you know, seats and, and, and go from there while you, you seek out different facilities? That's going to be a, you know, a challenge uh, 
for this league, but I'm, I'm sure they've uh, done a lot of research. And the fact that NHL teams have uh, expressed, you know, interest in this idea, I think really helps them because obviously logistics is something that, uh, you know, a, a pro league of that stature can, can help a lot with. Well, we see here in the WHL, the uh, Oil Kings and the Hitmen are both owned by NHL uh, parent clubs and, and their ownership. Could you see, first see something like that with this league where the, the Kings and the Sharks and the Ducks and maybe the Kraken and, and the the Golden Knights and heck, even the Coyotes, I guess, uh, while well, they're not really playing in an NHL building themselves anymore. But uh, could I mean, could that help facilitate this league get off the ground? I mean, they all play in practice. Uh, they all have practice rinks. Maybe they could play there. Yeah, potentially. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering if that is an option. And, you know, if you look at some of the relationships that have been forged at the NCAA level with, you know, NHL teams helping out with, um, you know, programs that are looking t- into starting D1 programs, you know, we've, we've seen that in the past as well. Uh, you know, St. Louis Blues with Lindenwood, for example, and then you know, obviously it's been years with the University of Illinois kind of dipping their toes in the water. But, you know, Chicago, um, when the draft was held there uh, years ago, you know, they hosted an, an announcement for the University of Illinois at the draft that first day. Um, so, you know, there's, there's always these, if, if they're not even official partnerships, just, you know, helping each other out in different ways. And um, like I said, l- lending logistical support, um, you know, Again, at the grassroots level, especially for these these teams out west in California and, and you know even Colorado and as you mentioned Arizona, you get more high end hockey in the area and it kind of lifts all boats where you're you're making more fans and you're getting more kids involved in playing and they can see the path where it's not just you know can I be an NHLer it's okay well I see this kid at sixteen seventeen playing here and then he goes off to college and then he goes off to the NHL. Hmm. You know, if, if you see it, you can be it as they like to say. He's Ryan Kennedy from the hockey news. He's my guest here on uh, this, uh, this week's season 17 finale of the pipeline show, a couple of weeks off and then back for season 18. When we come back, well, we'll be right into the thick of the 2022 world junior championship uh, 2.0 version, uh, which will be getting going here in Edmonton in mid August. Uh, but before that, we have the Holinka Gretzky cup, uh, and that is uh, happening in Red Deer at the end of the month here, and uh, that camp is going on right now as we speak. I thought maybe we'd have the the roster out by now, but I, I, unless I've missed it, I haven't heard it. I know there's a lot of off-ice stuff with Hockey Canada that might be overshadowing everything. Uh, maybe that's where I'll start first is the off-ice issues that Hockey Canada is facing. Uh, how much do you think that impacts uh, what we see at the Holinka Gretzky Cup and, and the World Junior Championship in terms of maybe ticket sales? I mean, it's going to be interesting because particularly with the World Juniors, I think that was always going to be a challenge <clears throat> since we're not used to having an August World Juniors. You know, with the Holinka Gretzky, uh, you know, it's kind of an, an event for the hardcore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, there there is that, that sort of built-in audience there. Um It'll certainly be interesting. It'll, I mean, it, it's very hard to divorce what's going on on the ice with, with what has happened off the ice. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some fans say, I'm not really feeling it right now. Um, having said that, you know, for people that like to watch these these kids play, and, you know, as far as we know, none of the kids involved in, you know, these current tournaments have, have done anything. Um 
you know, it's, it's a great opportunity to watch hockey in terms of, you know, sponsorships and TV ratings and, you know, just how things are presented. That's going to be fascinating because I mean, it's, it's going to be a minefield and we know we've already seen a number of high profile sponsors pull out and, you know, with this world juniors, I mean, it's essentially a makeup world juniors Mm -hmm. for sponsors. You know, there's some, you know, there's some TV execs that are really hoping that people tune in this summer because there's a lot of make goods that uh, have to be coming for advertisers. And, and obviously all this news does not help that. Yeah. And I talked to some scouts not that long ago about, you know, how differently it's going to be for them because now everybody in this tournament or almost everybody in this tournament uh, of significance is drafted. Now you don't have any of those guys who would have been in the tournament in December who were draft eligible uh, for the 2022 draft. All those guys have been selected already. So now it's not their amateur scouts going, it's guys, you know, different, different scouts from each NHL organization who will be there. Uh, All the amateur guys will still be in red deer to watch the Lincoln Gretzky cup, but a little bit different. Uh, when it comes to the roster makeup, well, Jake Neighbors has already said he's not playing uh, due to injury. I know Dylan Gunther, I think, is out. I don't expect Owen Power will be playing. Uh, not just for Canada, but there could be uh, a lot of roster changes for the uh, the 22 World Juniors from what we saw in December, would you say? Oh, most certainly. And, you know, we've already heard Marco Casper's not going for Austria. Uh, Leon Bischel uh, is not going to play for Switzerland uh, based on him not wanting to go to a, a you know, a pre-tournament camp. Um, I think I saw, you know, Slav- the Slovaks are not going, uh, you know, Slavkovsky, Nemec, Mesar. I think that came out today, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, I mean, it'll be nice for some of those kind of bubble guys, but I mean, it's, it's tough. It's not going to be best on best. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what other names um, end up going or not going based on drafts, you know, draft status from this this summer uh because you know i mean for some of these kids they're going to their first nhl camp you know what if you get injured and i know that happens in the in the winter time as well you know it happened to kirby dock a couple of years ago but at least you had the beginning of the season before the tournament you know you don't get a lot of long summers once you become an nhl pro and i i think there's going to be a lot of tough decisions being made even just in the next week or two where players say, okay, well, I want to make my best impression at my NHL camp, but I always love playing for Canada. So what's the best path? I, I don't think there's necessarily a, an easy answer and it's, it's very much going to be case by case, I think. Yeah. I mean, if you're Mason McTavish, do you say I'm, I'm about to start my NHL career. Why would I risk anything in August that would screw that up? Or you look at it and say, this will give me a really good boost going into camp and I'll, I'll be starting the season off, you know, playing at the peak. I'll be in mid season form in September. So I guess there's two ways to look at it, right? Totally. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think you hit it right on the head there. If you can get that, little bit of extra jump and and sort of get the rust out at this tournament then you're heading into a camp where you know there's only going to be so many nhl roster spots available in the first place you want to put yourself in the best position possible and if you're already raring to go while you know some of your peers are are still revving up then i mean it's certainly a benefit to that uh, Ryan, before I let you go, I know you've been on vacation, so I don't know if you've been able to, to pay much attention to the, the Holinka Gretzky uh, Cup uh, camp that's been going on or what the World Junior uh, for this coming December in Halifax will look like. But 
Uh, have you thought about the 2023 draft and just how good this crop is going to be uh, compared to the last couple of years? Well, it's it's shaping up to be a real fun one. And, you know, I mean, players still need to develop the way we think they will. But, you know, you look at Connor Bedard at the top. You look at Adam Fantilli, uh, who's going to go straight to Michigan this year as a true freshman. You know, Mattia Mitchkoff is obviously the huge wild card because we already know that he signed, you know, in the KHL until 2026. Mm -hmm. So you have a player that's probably you know, if not on par with Bedard, then pretty close to it, but you wouldn't be able to get him for years. So that's going to be a decision. You got Dalbor Dvorsky, you know, uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a better year overall for the OHL, which is obviously my neck of the woods. You know, Cam Allen, uh, probably the best defenseman in the draft right now. Colby Barlow was great for Owen Sound. Cal Ritchie was great for Oshawa last year. Um, so a, a lot of fun names for that 2023 draft, you know, Charlie Stramel out of the NTDP, I believe he's going straight to Wisconsin, uh, this fall, Alex Weyermeyer, I think he's another, uh, NTDP product that is going to blow up, uh, this season in Michigan. So he'll be fun to watch. Uh, yeah, it, it's a good one. It's, it, you know, it's one that we probably haven't seen in a couple of years now. Um, I think it's going to be pretty deep and it's, and it's going to be pretty high end. Well, and a lot of those guys will be on display uh, at the Helenka Gretzky Cup. So hopefully the, the attendance will be there. The scouts will definitely be there, but it should be a fun tournament to watch. Uh, and hopefully it uh, it plays out that way. Ryan, as always, really appreciate your time. Thanks for doing this. Uh, you joined me a few times through Season 17. Uh, looking forward to having you again in Season 18. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News with, uh, well, some thoughts on uh, not just the, the new league, which... I still find really interesting. I, I think the USHL, you know, maybe 10, 20 years from now, the USHL is much like the Canadian Hockey League, where you've got three leagues under the CHL umbrella. Well, maybe you've got three leagues under the USHL umbrella. What we know currently as the USHL, maybe something out east, and maybe new, this new uh, West Coast League that's uh, trying to start up. Uh, it seems like they all want the same thing. They're all built to push players to the NCAA. It seems like it makes sense to me. Also, some interesting uh, thoughts there about the uh, the roster changes for the upcoming World Junior Championship in Edmonton in mid-August. He mentioned players like uh, Uri Slavkowski not going, Marco Kasper, as well as uh, Leon Bischel. Uh, that sucks. That's a blow uh, to the uh, interest level, I'm sure, for a lot of people, especially when it's a country like Austria where you've only got three or four marquee players and a couple of them are pulling out. Uh, that sucks. So we'll see if there's any kind of resulting spinoff. I don't know how much interest there is in the World Junior in August as it is. Uh, we saw when the Holinka was here in uh, Edmonton, well, I want to say, what was that, 2018? Something like that. Uh, attendance was terrible. They they literally put for TV. They only sold the lower bowl, and it was so sparse that they cut it in half and put everybody on one side, on the camera side. Uh, so that when you were watching TV, it would look like it was full. But the other side is completely empty. It looked ridiculous when you were there in person. Will the World Junior, without a lot of the uh, marquee names, uh, be much better attended, uh, considering the atmosphere right now around Hockey Canada and uh, all the bad press that they're getting, and rightly so? I don't know. We'll see what the uh, World Junior looks like here in August. And uh, hopefully it's all back to normal for uh, December in Halifax and Moncton. Next up on the Pipeline Show, a good friend, old friend of the uh, the program. His name is Alan Mitchell. He's the host of the, the Lowdown, or actually now with uh, Low Tide and Dave Jamison, 
four hours on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. Well, uh, Low Tide's got a book coming out. Behind the scenes look at the Edmonton Oilers at the NHL draft. He's been a longtime uh, fan of prospects and uh, a good friend of the show. We're going to talk to him next here on the Pipeline Show. Brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Second round pick of the Colorado Avalanche. Over to Gutman. To Savoy. And he's got a hat trick. Start throwing the hats. Give up the $24 hat. Throw it on the ice for Carter Savoy. This is Carter Savoy from the Sherrod Park Crusaders. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Jonathan Taves. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! Colton Pareko. And Patrick Sharp were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey, everybody. An old man's talking. We are back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. Go to wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. And uh, my next guest is uh, he's a, an old friend of The Pipeline Show in two ways. He has uh, been a friend of the show for a long time, and he is also old. Uh, he is the uh, host of uh, one of the hosts of the Low, Low Tide and Jameson show from 10 to 2 p.m. on uh, TSN 1260 Monday to Friday. Also, former rock picker from Maidstone, Saskatchewan, Alan Mitchell. Welcome to the Pipeline Show, sir. How are you? I'm very well. I am also a, uh, a Patreon subscriber uh, to your wonderful work, Guy. So. Oh, so now I got to walk back all those uh, uh, barbs <laughs> that I just threw at you? And I cut a check every month for you. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I do enjoy your work, though, I have to tell you. You're, you are uh, a real gem. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, the show, when it was on the radio, uh, was, uh, I think, right before yours on Saturdays. Uh, so we, we would see each other all the time at the station. You're always a great guy. And uh, terrific. For those who are listening who are outside the Edmonton uh, area, uh, you can listen to Al's show online at uh, TSN 1260. Just Google it. That, that thing's a miracle, the old internet. You can listen to radio stations in Edmonton if you're in Boston. Uh, it's uh, funny how that works out. It's a long time ago you weren't able to do that when you were a kid, hey? No, you used to get, uh, and it's going to be a long story, so cut me off quickly. Uh, <laughs> but you used to get, if you stayed up till midnight or one as a teenager, mm-hmm. you could get uh, KSTP Minneapolis-St. Paul, uh, KOA Denver, uh, and uh, uh, I can't remember the Seattle station. Uh, and they would just bounce off all the rocks and things, and they'd end up, landing in your transistor radio but it's way better now you can hear it much clearer i used to go to bed i grew up in cold lake alberta which is uh, for those who don't know about three hours northeast of edmonton i used to go to bed with my uh, sony walkman on listening to john short show on on 1260 uh but then every once in a while i would get skips across the mountains and i'd hear stations in vancouver and things like that it's yeah it was ridiculous. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. But my mom and dad fought only over three things, one of which was buying me battery for my transistor radio because <laughs> it didn't have a plug-in, and I used to fall asleep with the radio on, and uh, I didn't have any money. And so dad had to always constantly buy me batteries for my transistor, which, based on what he said, 
broke him every week. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I wanted to get you on the show because uh, you're, as I said, you've fr- been a longtime friend of the show, and uh, you got something really exciting coming out here. Uh, you wrote a book, and I, I guess my first question is, where'd the idea come from, Al? Well, I got a a, a, a letter or uh, an email, I guess they call it these days, uh, from Triumph Books out of Chicago. And they, they had an idea for a book uh, that they wanted to write with somebody in the Edmonton market. And it wasn't really uh, a book that I felt like I would be the, the best person to write it. So I, I passed along some names, two or three names. You weren't on the list. Mm-hmm. But I passed along two or three names of people that I thought would be better equipped to write the book. Uh, and they thanked me for that. And then they said, well, you know, is there a book you'd like to write? And I said, well, I've always wanted to write a book on the draft and the Edmonton Oilers and why they succeed in some decades and don't in others. And so they said, well, put together a proposal. And I did. Uh, and it's called On the Clock, uh, Edmonton Oilers at the Draft between 1979 and, uh, and this past year. So it's it's basically a year-by-year look of what the Edmonton Oilers did right sometimes and not so correctly other times and why it mattered and the impact that it had four or five years after each draft. Wow, so you're going all the way back to 79 right up to present. So you're starting from when you were in your early 40s and moving all the way right. up to present date. Yeah, I, I wasn't even a retirement age when the book starts. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's a, and it's a, like it's a tomb, right? Like I think it's, I mean, you can read it right through, but I think it also might be a reference for people when they're, you know, uh, talking about players or whatever who were drafted, maybe they slide in and look at 1984 or whatever. And you are in the book, by the way. Am I? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you're in the 2007 draft. Uh, you were the one who tipped me off what oh. the orders were going to do uh, with one of the first-round picks. So that's in there. Uh, you're at Shanks. Uh, you and uh, yeah. uh, Bob Stoffer, uh, you know, wowing all the young ladies with your draft knowledge uh, mm. at a live show that was at Shanks uh, for the radio. I think it was Team 1260 at that time. Yeah, it was. But you, you sort of gave me a tip about what the orders were going to do with their second first-round pick in the, in, the, uh, in the 2007 draft. So that's in there. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks for that. Uh, well, and uh, you said it's a tome. How, how many pages is this? book uh and uh, is it uh, a lot of writing or is it mostly pictures no <laughs> it's, there's uh, i think there's 10 pictures it's 277 pages i believe wow and there it's it's you know it's pretty intense uh, what i did what i did was i i wrote every year as its own thing you know the orders finished here last year uh, they didn't make the playoffs they had this record uh this was their new gm or coach uh and these are the players they picked and then at some point in time in each uh year that i look at i say okay if we applied what we know now about drafts and about proper drafting and what works what could they have done better and who did they miss out on or did they hit a home run and then i also sort of ask hey, you know, we perceive these picks as being terrible. Uh, Maybe they weren't. Maybe based on what they were looking at, uh, again, applying the modern techniques of drafting and math and those things, would those picks uh, really be ones that just didn't work out through injury or whatever the case may be? So uh, I was surprised a lot, a a lot of uh, picks that I, going in that I felt, a certain way about. Uh, I walked out of the the book thinking a, a little bit differently. When he's mentioned injury, there are two guys that immediately come to mind for me. I, I started covering the prospects around 2002, 2003. So a couple of guys from those drafts early on really stand out to me. But when you think of guys who 
could have had a, a career but didn't because of injury. Who who comes to mind for you? Well, there's three of them. Two of them you're re- going to reference or we're re- going to reference. Uh, one is Selmar Odline, who I watched play for the Regina Pats in the early 80s, and he was a very good player. He got hurt uh, playing for Adirondack in the AHL, and his career just didn't happen. Happened for his brother, but not for him. And then in, I think, 2001, the Oilers drafted a really good, a big, defenseman, a good one named Doug Lynch, mm-hmm. and he had a hand injury that derailed him. He ended up being in the Chris Pronger trade. And then the other one, uh, the only reason I knew that he was hurt with a shoulder injury was you. Yessi Ninamake uh, was drafted in 2002, I believe, and he was he sent everybody to the internet because nobody knew who he was, yeah. uh, but they drafted him in the first round. And then, you know, he started off well, and then he had a hellacious shoulder injury, which I found out from you writing on Hockey's Future about uh, the fact that it was a very bad injury and it really did impact his career and he never made it as an NHL player. Yeah, those are two of the guys exactly, Doug Lynch and Yessi Ninamaki. And I remember the description I was given of, of Ninamaki's shoulder when they x-rayed it. What, it wasn't a tear or a sprain. It was pulverized, that there were just pieces that they had to actually form back together uh, for his shoulder. It sounded hellacious, but hey, when you're uh, built like a 13-year-old girl at the draft, no insult uh, intended to, to girls. <laughs> Uh, I guess that was a long shot for sure. But, yeah, Doug Lynch, I thought, was going to be a, a really good prospect. I, he was a great junior. He was good with the, the Edmonton Roadrunners uh, until yeah. that injury. But, um, yeah, he made the AHL All-Star team that year. That's right. Were you able to, yep. to go back and talk to any of the Edmonton Oilers personnel that were responsible for the scouting or the drafting of any of these players? You know, I began to, I reached out to several, and, and each of them gave me an answer. You know, basically, I'm in the industry, and I don't, I don't really want to, you know, speak on this particular, you know, subject. So I did, I, I went outside the organization, and I got some intel uh, that was reliable uh, and, and could be confirmed. So there's, there's things in there that are uh, draft nuggets that may be new to people, but uh, uh, nobody on the record from the organization, past or present, is a part of that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, what was the Oilers' best year at the draft, in your opinion? I think it was it was 1979, followed quickly by 1980, and it's the, been all the, downhill the, since then. Well, it, <laughs> honestly, they've had some really good years, but but I think you know in '79 they got Kevin Lowe. Uh, Mark Messier and Glenn Anderson, and then in 1980 they got Paul Coffey and Yari Curry, and and they you know I think Andy Moog is part of that one too, and then Fuhrer the following year, th- their first three drafts set them up for what should have been a 20-year run ended up being a 10-year run uh, because they ran out of money, but once past that they they uh, they stopped really drafting the high end. Um, prospects in terms of offense like Kevin Lowe was the leading scorer of his Quebec major junior hockey league team the year of his draft he was an offensive defenseman now he developed into a, a more of a shutdown type in the NHL but he still had the ability to to make plays and to put up points even in the NHL he had some 40 plus point seasons so uh they, they were drafting in the right areas of the draft. As it turned out, as time went on, they were less likely to do that. They were looking for more complementary players. And when money became very tight and they started sending players out, like Paul Coffey and Andy Moog and eventually Wayne Gretzky and even Mark Messier, they didn't start drafting elite talents offensively until after Messier was gone. So they, they started again with Jason Arnott and Miro Chatan and Ryan Smith and that group. But they'd spent over a decade really drafting, you know, tough, 
uh, hard-edged defensemen and checking forwards, and they went away from uh, what, what, what really worked for them uh, at the beginning of their time. And they, they would repeat that process over and over again uh, over the 40-plus years where they sort of, you know, they, they like the skill, but once they feel like they've got enough skill, they're going for Coke machines, big guys mm-hmm. who can intimidate. There's always that feeling that they have to get that player, and, and the, the math and history suggests you can draft a big player, but he also has to be able to score. And that's sort of the theme of the draft. And each each scouting director, including Barry Fraser and Kevin Prendergast and all of those, they start out with a high skill draft, and then it sort of moves away from there. And uh, part of it probably is, you know, management or ownership influencing those draft picks. But it's it's a trend that is held true to this day for the Oilers organization. Uh, you, uh, you mentioned the the, the the term Coke machine. Who I think I'm po- almost positive you coined that in terms of uh, scouting for hockey and and for the draft. Has there been an evolution in the way that maybe just specifically the Oilers scout with the way that the game has evolved over the years? I mean, the game in the '80s is different than it was in the in the late '90s, and certainly different than it is today. But has the scouting changed to adapt to the way the game is? Are they always a little bit behind or ahead of the curve? No, I think the, the orders are right now the, the, the last, say, from 2015, they've really improved. But, but even, even in the last, say, four or five years, uh, and I'll, I'll give you two examples. Uh, Kader Yamamoto was 153 pounds. And they took him in the first round. Now, they had taken smaller players in the past, but, you know, late round picks, sixth, seventh round uh, kind of guys in the 200s. And they weren't, not a lot was expected of them. And even though they were really good players, they had no real chance. But now the, the NHL of today is a different league. So for them to draft Kyler Yamamoto, uh, and I read it in the book, I think it was a, a major pressure point or turning point uh, for the Edmonton Oilers as an organization. They valued skill enough to draft a player that that was so undersized you had to at least worry about it a little bit. Mm. And then the, the following year, they had a chance to draft a scoring winger and a, a hard-nosed defenseman, and then they still went for the skill guy and Evan Bouchard. And those two picks to me indicated that they were you know, headed in a good direction. Now, it, it wavers sometimes. I think Dylan Holloway, uh, his offense wasn't obvious in his draft year. He had a much better draft plus one season, and it looks like he's going to be a skill guy. But uh, the organization... From where they were drafting, say, Travis Awanek and uh, Mitch Moraz uh, a, a decade ago to where they are now drafting guys like Ryan McLeod uh, and the young man that they just drafted in the first round this year, uh, who I think has a real chance to make it. Uh, I think they, they now realize, you know, even if you're going to take a big guy, you can, but that player has to be able to score, not just be a checking guy who can score in the Western League. Uh, a guy who can score so much in junior that you can project him into the National Hockey League three or four years down the line. He's Alan Mitchell, ho- co-host of uh, the Low Tide and Jameson show from 10 to, new, uh, 10 to 2 p.m., excuse me, on TSN 1260 here. A long shift, I know. long time wow. on the air there. You, got, you, you must be taking nap. extended commercial breaks and things like that. <laughs> Well, we, we, what we do is we, we send it over to our producer, Matthew Owanek, and he does a, like a drum solo, and then we come back five minutes later. So Just you know. ask him a political question and let him run with it for a little while. 
like putting on Inagata de Vita. Yeah, that's that's right. You know, it's it, it's like let's go. The pizza's at the door. Let's run downstairs and get it. Right. Back to the book uh, for a minute on the clock uh, about the Edmonton Oilers at the draft uh, over the years uh, since uh, 1979. Ha- have there been one or two just colossal misses in your opinion? Not necessarily the guy that they picked, but the guy they could or should have taken. There's a lot of that. Um, th- there was. Uh, um, and I, I I can't remember. I wish I could remember the player they took. But Joe Newendike was a was a great offensive player in college. So it wasn't like he was unproven and playing in an obscure league. And they missed him. And and the, the, you know Calgary got him. And and you know um, he turned into a, a great player. Um, and then uh, missing out on a pick is 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 one thing. But in in 2007 <laughs> they they had three first round picks. And they they could have drafted a guy like Sharponoff. They could have drafted Backlund, who ended up in Calgary. Uh, and they, you know, they drafted Riley Nash, who eventually didn't sign. They had to trade him for the pick that ended up being Martin Marincin. And Alex Plant, who got hurt, uh, and his mobility was a little bit questionable at the time. And then Gagne turned into a good player, but not a center. So I think that that year was um, they had it all set up. They had. Four picks, I think, in the top 32, and they ended up really not getting as much as you would like them to. It was a pretty good year, too. Uh, they could have had Jacob Voracek, who was a more dynamic player, and as I mentioned, some other players who were available a little bit later. And then 2015, uh, not the scouts' fault. This was the general manager, Peter Shirelli, trading so many picks that after Connor McDavid, they, they still got three NHL players, in Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, and John Marino. But had they kept the picks, uh, you know, they traded for Griffin Reinhardt and Cam Talbot and yeah. uh, Eric Ryben. Some of those guys helped them, but they really could have had uh, on their roster now, they could have had a watershed of six or seven players from that draft, and it would have been a mammoth. By 2017, I think it would have paid for itself if they had not traded those picks. See, those are all good examples. The one I thought you were going to mention was the draft that was here in Edmonton with the Doan chance uh, from the uh, from the crowd. Uh, and their uh, decision not to, to select Shane Doan at that draft. Uh, do you think much about that year anymore? Yeah, I I, I do. You know, the 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 thing about about Kelly was Steve Kelly, the the player that they drafted, very fast player uh, and skilled, but his offense wasn't uh, at the same level. And there were players that they could have taken uh, around him that that would have been would have been better. Um, and and you you know I I'm always you know when you when you say uh, an entire scouting staff was headed one way or or uh, all in agreement that that's another thing that that really comes out at points in the book. Neil Yakupov would be an example of a player. The 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 scouts based on published information were very value very uh, mixed in terms of how much they valued uh, Yakupov or uh, Griffin Reinhardt. I believe Ryan Murray was a player. Galchenyuk. They they couldn't make a decision. Um, that was unanimous. They they were very divided, and oftentimes when that happens, you end up taking a player uh, who, who you know is not necessarily the best player five years from now. You're you're trying to recognize something that's not there. And I think in the case of Steve Kelly, they loved his speed so much they overlooked some other areas. Mm, all right, that's fair. All right, uh, Al, where do uh, people get the book? How do they get it? When is it available? Uh, give us all the details. Okay, so from Triumph Books in 
Chicago, so you can go to their website and it's there. But you can order it online if you just type into like where do you order all your books? Your, your wherever you go and do that, just type in uh, Alan Mitchell on the clock uh, history of Edmonton Oilers at the draft, and it'll come up. It doesn't publish until September 27th, so you'll have to pre-order. And I think they don't put your uh, credit card through until the book is being shipped but uh that's that's out there now that you can pre-order and of course you'll be hearing a lot about it as next you know any number of uh how many weeks is that two months yeah something like that i don't even know if you would know this yet but uh is will there be like an audio book available are you going to be voicing that I asked about that, and and we're, we're it's been sent up the chain. So and it didn't occur to me. It never occurred to me that people would want to, you know, listen to me or somebody else prattle on about it. But maybe they will. And and I guess they're. Do you listen to to audiobooks? Uh, uh, from time to time, I do. I have certainly. But I mean, I'm I, I'm sure you've been told you have a pretty decent speaking voice, Alan. <laughs> Well, I'll do it for free. So, and also, if you buy the book, I'll just come over to your house and read it to you. Hey, there, that's a deal. Perfect. Uh, what's next? You got another book in the works? Where do you, where do you go from here? Well, I joke that I want to write about Sam Pollock, who ruined the NHL when I was a kid. Uh, but that's just a joke. He was a brilliant GM. But I, I'm not sure. I, I, what I'd like to do is see how this book goes, and then maybe you know formulate a plan about it. What I this was such a you know. You you have a passion that has lasted over 20 years now. You've you've been involved in writing or uh, talking about prospects across you know basically the hockey world. That that's sort of an area of my, my passion. I've I've always been very interested in the draft. So if it, if there was another book, it might be around the draft, but it might be uh, from a different point of view. Maybe maybe with more interviews, maybe with more insight, uh, and and maybe this book gets me a little bit you know farther in the door of the hockey world where uh, some of those interviews that were turned down, uh, I'll be able to get next time. But that's that's my uh, blue sky. But I I'm not sure. Uh, where I'll, you know, I mean, I didn't think I had one book in me, so I'll, I'll, if this is all, I'll be happy with that. But it was a, it was a really good experience. I read it, wrote it during the COVID um, period where, where we were all just sitting around doing nothing. And I thought, well, I might as well do something. So I wrote it and it took me about, I'm going to say seven months to write. Wow. And it was a lot, a lot of work, uh, but I enjoyed every minute of it. And, and, um, I can't wait to get the book in my hands. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, that's fantastic. I'm looking forward to it too, Al. And uh, I know maybe three, four books down the road, uh, you'll be writing about the Expos or the uh, Philadelphia Eagles or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'll write about the Expos when they come back. I'd love to. I have a question for you. Are we are All we right. okay to ask me? Okay. So um, the the draft just happened, mm-hmm. and you follow the 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 amateur side closely, and so. I I felt I knew a lot of players who had been eligible for the draft previously would be would be chosen in this draft, and I do think that happened. There were quite a number of them. But my question for you is uh, two two parts. Number one is the the twenty um, twenty three draft as deep as everybody says, uh, and if so, are there players out there who? are either signable now as free agents or hmm. who you think have still been overlooked that might be that should be on people's radar entering this season. It doesn't have to be WHL, could be any league. Is there anybody out there that you go, man, I can't believe this guy passed through the draft and 
I guarantee they'll get drafted next year. Great questions. We're out of time, though, Al, so I'll have to... Uh, <laughs> no, I, I do think uh, my early indications from people that I talked to, the 2023 draft is going to be very, very, very good. Uh, and maybe one of the, you know, 2003 level sort of draft that it's one of the best of all time. Uh, as for guys who have passed through the draft now here as uh, as 18 and 19 year olds already, th- I, I agree with you. I think there were a lot more of those guys taken in the uh, 2022 draft than we've seen. And big reason for that is COVID and how limited viewings uh, a lot of people had for players and limited opportunities for those players. I mean, there were no World U18s. There there weren't World Junior Championships. The Holinka Gretzky Cup, events like that were canceled for a couple of years. So uh, limited viewings made it hard to draft players, and guys fell through the cracks. That said, I think there'll be less next year than there were this year. I think it'll be more of a normal year, but I'm sure there are players like that. There's there's always late bloomers, right? Guys who, at 17, 18, especially goaltenders, I think, where a guy like Chase Coward with the Red Deer Rebels got invited to World Junior Summer Camp this year but couldn't go because he got sick. He's undrafted, but now, uh, I mean, he played as a a platoon goaltender this year with Red Deer, so didn't get a lot of starts. I think he played 30 games, something like that. Next year, he's going to be the number one guy in Red Deer. He's going to stand out. That's going to be a decent team again, and maybe a guy like that gets picked up. So I I think uh, there'll be some goaltenders. It always seems to be a challenge for goalies to stand out in their draft year, in my opinion. Yeah, it's and if they're if they're not six three, it always kills me that that you know a six foot goalie would have to be like a, a like Wolf in Calgary where he's so good yes. that you have to draft him right. Yeah, and I, I find that to be frustrating at times. Why can a guy who's six three and stop the puck be okay, but a guy who's six or six one and it stops the puck just as well? Why is that not good enough for the NHL? It just I don't know. To me, if you can stop the puck, you can stop the puck. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, Dominic Hoshik wasn't a big man, but he was very acrobatic and he could get the job done. So anyway, that's a question I had for you, and I, I, I'm glad you answered it. Appreciate Dustin it. Dustin Tokarski is, I think, under six feet tall. He's still playing professionally. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Alan, this was fun. I appreciate it. Uh, I hope uh, I, I, you've unblocked me on Twitter and stuff, so you can call me to, to get me on your show again. That would be great. Yeah, and Peart tells me you're doing real well. So uh, I know you and Andrew Peart are good friends, So, or at least you were the last time I talked to him. It's, so. it's the only time I've heard you say a kind word about him when he's not with me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Hey, Guy, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. That was Low Tide, Alan Mitchell from TSN 1260 in Edmonton, who uh, was one of the first guys I met at the radio station when, back in 2006, Dean Millard and I started the show and uh, did it there for, I want to say it was like 12 seasons that we were on the radio. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, what I do I miss the radio station and being on the radio or not? And it's there's two ways of looking at it. The, the podcast world, that the freedom of it is irreplaceable. I mean, I could have segments that go as long as I want. I can book interviews at my convenience or at the guest convenience rather than you got to be ready at 7.45. We can swear if we want. We don't often, but uh, we don't have any of those restrictions. Uh, but the things that I do miss about the radio is uh, one of them is, is a guy like that who I would cross paths with at the radio station and uh, swap stores. He's just, I mean, he's just a, he's just a solid guy. I mean, we, uh, when I'm on his show or when he's on uh, this show, uh, we throw barbs at each other, but all out of respect, he's a terrific guy and you should listen to his show. He and Dave Jameson, uh, a great combination together, way more than just Oilers. 
They will talk uh, any sport with you. So give them a listen at TSN 1260. We have one more segment to go here in Season 17. The Edmonton Oil Kings have a new head coach. Let's get to know him. That's Luke Pierce. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line, now Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle. Dances around his man to his backhand. Forehand, he scores! Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski! What a move, what a shot, what a goal. Oh, mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. Are you a U15 or U17 player looking to sharpen up your skills, have fun, and get conditioned for the upcoming hockey season? Let our coaches and players get you ready at the Spruce Grove Saints 4th Annual Hockey School, brought to you by NextGen Transportation. The camp takes place August 22nd to 26th at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. The camp includes over 10 hours of on and off ice training. For more details and to register for the camp, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca slash community slash hockey school today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I think I'm getting the black lung, Bob. Back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Turkey. It's Alberta's best. Go to wilhockbeefturkey.com at W-I-L-H-A-U-K Beef Turkey. Dot com. Uh, news in the WHL this week and uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings right here in my backyard and uh, a new head coach, as I'm uh, pleased to be joined now by Luke Pierce, the uh, fifth head coach in Oil Kings uh, modern franchise history. Uh, Luke, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I'm doing well, Guy. Thank you for uh, for having me here. And uh, yeah, exciting couple days for sure. Well, I appreciate you giving up a, a little summer like this. Uh, it, it's a real short off season this year. Do you, are you feeling that already? Like uh, it seems like a month ago you were still playing, and uh, a month from now you're going to be back at the rink, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh, there's no question. I think it's the uh, you know, the one uh, potential downside of uh, of the success that we had is uh, you get a pretty short window here, but you know, trying to squeeze everything in. I uh, had a great family holiday uh, early in July and then uh, just on the start of, of another one, another short one here uh, this week. So trying to jam it all in. And but yeah, soon enough, uh, we'll be back uh, in the rink getting ready to uh, start the next chapter here. Well, I guess for, for those who don't know, uh, Brad Lauer, the former head coach, been signed now by the Winnipeg Jets. He's going to be on the bench at the NHL level. And from the outside uh, of my position on the outside looking in, I wasn't sure if either one of you would be back this year. You know, with the amount of success that the Oil Kings have had, it could very well have been both of you moving to the American Hockey League or something like that and taking over a bench down there. Uh, but with him moving up to the NHL, that left the uh, the vacancy for the Oil Kings head coach job and uh, seemed like a natural fit for you. Yeah, thanks, Guy. I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, couldn't be happier for Brad. And um, there's no question that, uh, you know, he did a tremendous job of uh, – you know, setting a, a culture and a foundation uh, with the franchise. And, you know, he was tremendous in, you know, allowing me to be a really big part of that and, and work as a true tandem and team. And um, you're right. I mean, I think, you know, there was some different thoughts at different times about what the future might hold for, for us, both, you know, either together or individually. And 
Um, you know, ultimately, I think this is probably the best path for both of us. I think he he certainly belongs back at that level, and and for me, I think a chance again to to try and um, you know take over my own bench and and uh, take all the things that I've learned from him and apply them. And, uh, I think it's a it's a really good fit, but uh, there's no question at some point. I mean, uh, it's a beautiful thing about our game. You you build these relationships and. You know who knows uh, where our paths cross cross again. Well, a pretty obvious uh, thing to say, but uh, the relationship between a, a a head coach and the other guys on the staff has to be really cohesive. You got to be a a cohesive unit like that. Uh, what was that relationship like with you and Brad? And how do you take from that and apply to whatever happens here moving forward? We'll get to what you do uh, about uh, assistant coaches in a second, but uh, just that philosophy of being on the same page. Uh, and how well it worked between you and Brad. Well, there's no question. I mean, I, in order to to work together like we did for four years, it's you know you've got to have a first of all a, a relationship that's that's built on trust. And you know, neither of us uh, had ever worked together or knew each other at all uh, prior to to starting um, in 2018. And I, I think you know it takes time to build that. And you know, we we had a lot of learning to do and kind of steal each other out a little bit, but I think our personalities just mesh really well. Um, Brad's a very um, stoic and calm guy and I can be a little bit fiery and passionate at times. And, you know, we, we worked off of each other really well. And that's something for me that I think, you know, going into this again, as far as trying to hire a staff, it's, it's not just about a guy that you know really well, or you're, you're really comfortable with sometimes uh, starting a fresh relationship can be successful as well. And, and, um, you know, you get to kind of mold that um, however you see fit. So I think that's going to be something, you know, knowing how well it worked for us, it's definitely going to be something that's taken into consideration as Kurt and I, you know, go down that process of trying to find the right fit. The fact that you and Brad didn't know each other, had no relationship but previous to meeting with the Oil Kings, that seems to me like it would be unusual that usually there is a personal connection. Uh, why do you think it did work out so well? Yeah, I mean, it, it obviously could have gone... Uh, it could have gone the other way too right. very easily, but uh, no, you're right. I think a lot of times it is uh, a familiar relationship and, and you know, the majority of these types of hires, but you know, our situation was, uh, was unique. And, and I think you got to give Kurt Hill a lot of credit for, uh, for putting us together. I think Kurt and I did have a previous relationship from my time in the league before. And, um, you know, I think when he, he knew what he wanted in a head coach and I had talked to him about that prior to him hiring Brad. And, um, I think once he bought, brought Brad in, he got a feel for what type of a guy he was and what he probably needed. And I think he was kind of the matchmaker, so to speak. And, um, that's a credit to him and his ability to kind of read people and understand, you know, um, what's best suited. So I'll, I'll lean on him really heavily when it comes to, to who we put in place, but, uh, and I think, you know, for both of us, I think Brad's, you know, I don't think there's many people that would meet and work with him that he, that wouldn't get along with him. And, and I, I think I'm fairly similar in that way. We both, uh, are social and enjoy people. So, you know, in order to, uh, have success in this game, I think you have to be open to that. And, you know, it just, I don't know how far down the the process you are in in finding a, a, a I guess a replacement for yourself as the assistant coach, but you know w- with uh, Brad going to the NHL, I don't know if that could have been in place a week before it was formally announced. I don't know. So where are you right at right now? Have it, has that process 
begun with you and Kurt, or is it uh, something you, you start doing uh, in depth now? Yeah, it's. I mean, you're right. I think you you start to think that this is a possibility a little while ago, not that far, you know, removed from it. But uh, even then, it's hard to really fathom because you don't quite know who's all going to be interested. And you know, there's guys that are in jobs right now that you maybe didn't think of. And so, really, up until yesterday, we didn't have a true understanding of of what kind of a pool we were looking at. Um, you always have some people in the back of your mind, but. Um, I've been overwhelmed and then I think, you know, both of us with the amount of interest there's been, which I guess is not surprising. I mean, with, uh, it's, it's a phenomenal organization and, and place to work. So, uh, you know, but there's been a, a real outpouring of, uh, of candidates and, um, we're really just diving into that now and, and hope by, you know, early next week, sometime we can kind of get somewhat of a more narrow list down and, and start to really hone in on the right guy. I guess it could be, you know, a fresh face to the league, or do you want somebody that has experience? Do you want a veteran guy, uh, or do you want a young p- a person like yourself or like Kurt? I mean, both of you guys are still in your 30s. Yeah. Does it matter? Are you just open to all options? No, open to all options. I had a I had a conversation with a guy earlier uh, who's just, you know, uh, just turned 50. Um, I've had conversations with you guys in their early 20s. So it it's trying to, you know, oof. First, I think match the personality. Um, you know, I, I don't want someone that's exactly like me or, or too similar to me. I think you got to have a, a mix there and uh, someone who's capable of, of growing relationships with young players and a real emphasis on patience and development is going to be really important. And you know, oftentimes that usually means it's a guy with some experience at the level, but it's not always the case. So, um, but those will be, you know, a couple of the really key focuses for us. Luke Pierce is the new head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, my guest here on the Pipeline Show, uh, courtesy of the Troubled Monk Hotline. Uh, you described yourself as a, a bit more fiery than Brad was. I think everybody could attest to that. Does that change now that you're wearing a different hat as the head coach? Do you have to rein that in a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I think I've reined it in a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, and that, and you know what? That's the one thing I'll, I, you know, Brad, it's not like he doesn't have his, uh, his moments too with the, uh, with his passion. Um, but I remember our first year together, it was times where I was like, man, is this guy even like, is there anything going on there? Like he's just very calm and stoic. And, um, you know, for me never being an assistant before, like I'd always just been myself, just very, very, uh, energetic and passionate and, and fiery on a bench, which I think at times is good, but at times it can really hurt you. And it, and it creates, I think, with your players, some tension and a little bit of, you know, panic. And I think with Brad's personality, it really gives your players that calm, like everything's just steady. So um, for me, I'm certainly going to rein it in at times. And it's just more about trying to pick your spots and, and getting a better read of what your team needs and where you're at in that moment. But I, I think I've, I've certainly uh, learned how to manage that a lot better, but you're never going to change me. I mean, I, you know, I'm a redhead and, uh, <laughs> small town kids so it's 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 always probably gonna come out at times i had uh, what six years in the bchl uh, prior to your whl experience all with the merit centennials and i know it went pretty well there the last time you were on the show i think as a head coach uh, you were with the kootenai ice back then and wasn't going so well for you with the ice and i think i remember having that conversation with you where after all that success in the bchl did you expect it a lot easier at the whl level and you you admitted at that time that 
yeah, you thought it was probably just going to be easy sailing and two years at the bottom of the standings with the Kootenai Ice. What did you learn from that experience that you can apply now as a head coach for a team that's coming off a WHL championship? Yeah, I mean, I learned that uh, I wasn't ready. I mean, I um, I think sometimes we need that a little bit of humility. And, um, you know, it's, it's easy now to reflect back and look at all the different things that and I've had lots of people tell me that, you know, nobody really could have succeeded and you did everything you could and mm-hmm. all the things that try to help you make you feel better. But it really, at the end of the day, I, I didn't do a good enough job and I just wasn't prepared for it. I, um, I wasn't probably confident enough in myself as a coach and a person. I mean, I was 31 years old and um, I didn't have a vast experience. I, I had, like you said, I'd run the team in Merritt, but I'd always done it just my way. And uh was the general manager as well so uh it was you know easy to bring in the types of players you wanted the people you wanted so i didn't have to adapt to you know somebody else telling you who they're going to keep and you know having some influence on maybe who should be playing in certain situations and not and um just you know some, one of those things that you just you, you don't know if you're going to be ready for it or not until you live it and uh, I look back now on it and, and know that there was, there was no way that I was, you know, fully prepared to be that coach. And, um, I think what it's done for me is it's re- you know, reiterated the fact that I, you have to be true to who you are. I tried to be something a little bit different than something that I thought you're supposed to be at that level. But it also made me realize that, um, I was just purely a motivator and that's where my success came from in the BC league. I, I could just get players to work harder than everybody else could. And, uh, I think there's a lot of value in that, but when you get to this level, every coach is capable of it. And then the tactics and the style of play and the, the game management becomes so much more critical. And I just didn't have those tools in my belt. And um, that's what the last four years has really done for me. It's, it's allowed me to broaden that part of my game. I've, I've, you know, dug my nose into video more than, than ever. And, um, you know, my, the players here with Edmonton, I mean, they joke around a lot about how much I love video. And, and to be totally honest with you, Guy, I hated it. I absolutely hated video. Hmm. And uh, I forced myself to learn that and, and study the game. And, and I think I'm, uh, I, I do enjoy it now because I think like anything, once you get a little bit better at it, it becomes more enjoyable. So uh, I see the game now almost like you're playing board games. You're trying to figure out strategy and, you know, how do you both figure out what you're trying to do and what your opponent's trying to do and find different ways to win. And I love that challenge. And I think it's going to serve me a lot better this time around than it did, uh, you know, in, in the first go. Well, you're taking over the bench of a team that, uh, well, in 2019 uh, got to the conference uh, final. Uh, in 2020, were the number one seed in the conference going into the playoffs that ended, eventually got canceled. In 2021, the, you were the top team in the WHL, but no playoffs to show for it. You win a WHL championship just to get, what, about a month and a half ago, but you can't be the number one team forever. And after a, a championship like that and you go to the Memorial Cup, the, the natural tendency, that cyclical nature of junior hockey, is uh, eventually you got to go down the standings a little bit. Uh, it's not going to be the same team this coming season, a lot of different pieces, a lot of players who will be moving on. How do you deal with that? Well, you're right. It's uh, um, There's no question it's a different challenge. Um, the beauty of it, though, is we've seen what that roadmap looks like, and, and we know what the destination is, and we know a lot of the 
you know, twists and turns that you need to take to get there. Um, so, you know, I'm surrounded by the majority of the staff that went through that already and, and a handful of players that have seen it. And uh, we're going to really rely on each other to kind of, you know, uh, continue to lay out that foundation of, of how you get there. I, when we get to that destination again, I'm not sure, but I know we're starting that journey again. And if that takes a year or two, four, it is what it is. And, and we're going to try and um, it'll start with just, again, making sure that we have really good people. And that's what we were. Um, again, a credit to Brad and to Kurt for setting the standard on, you know, the type of, player and person they wanted here and and everyone can use the term culture all the time but it takes you know real true confidence to as a coach and as a general manager to to walk away from someone that's maybe very talented but just doesn't fit what you're trying to do and that that's where it'll start for us is, is getting back and making sure we just have really good people and then then the work and I think you know for uh, one of the things watching Brad is that we thought we were, you know, you think you're at the top of the game and we're having success and you've won 15 in a row and then he's coming in the next day and he's still not happy. So, um, he was just always pushing and always pushing. And, and, uh, there was times as a coach and probably as players too, where you're like, Holy, just take a break here. But you know what, at the end of the day, it got us there. So, um, that'll be our expectation of excellence and, and success and performance is going to continue to be very, very high. Should we expect a, a different look from the team on the ice in terms of systems or the way you want to play the game, an identity for this team? Or because you're coming from the same, uh, you, you coached so long with Brad, should it be uh, a pretty easy transition for, for the players and I guess for the fans, they could almost know what to expect? Yeah, I don't know why you would want to change something that, that was so successful. Um, but at the same time, like anything, you're always, the game's evolving. So our systems from year one, they they tweaked and they modified up to year four we were every year we would spend in the summers and uh, talking about things maybe we wanted to see different and you know doing research and what's going on in the american league and trends in the nhl and maybe looking at some college things and just trying to find different ways to keep the game fresh and um because i think your players can you know start to get a little bit robotic as far as their approach so we want to challenge them and um, the foundation of how we want to play and as far as, you know, having some freedom to, to create offense and, you know, not messing around in our D zone. Uh, those will all be core foundations, but we will start to look at some different things that, that maybe just um, manage to stay with the trends of the game right now. Well, I know first uh, preseason game uh, goes on uh, February 9th when you're hosting the Saskatoon Blades. I haven't seen a date uh, officially yet. When does camp open? Uh, we'll have uh, the the, uh, the recent draft picks. I think we'll be on the ice the 31st, and then kind of the whole team, um, veteran players, and and list guys. The the rest of the crew will all hit the ice on the 1st of September. So um, it's uh, it's coming. So that's no question. Labor Day weekend, then I guess uh, for for camp. Well, it's not that far away. Uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. We'll see you soon at the rink. Yeah, thanks a lot, Guy. I uh, appreciate the. The continued support of uh, of not just you know us here in Edmonton, but uh, but junior hockey uh, in general. So look forward to to many conversations here ahead. New Oil Kings head coach Luke Pierce uh, stopping by to help close out this season of the Pipeline Show. That is it. Season seventeen is now officially in the books. Uh, wish Luke Pierce all the best. I think it's going to be 
you know, this coming season, depending on who's back, there's they still have some talented players on the team, but they're going to lose like eight, nine guys off of last year's championship roster. You can't expect them to be anywhere near as good. That would be unfair to expect the Oil Kings to be contenders again this coming year. They've been contenders for four seasons, won a championship, probably could have won at least one other one along the way, if not for COVID. But now he's taking over a team that I'm not going to say they're rebuilding, but they're headed that direction. I don't know if that'll be this year. You know, we could see three or four guys off of this team traded at the deadline to help restock the covers because the Hill Kings uh, gave up a lot in order to get guys like Caden Gooley and Justin Sordiff and Luke Prokop uh, all last season. So it worked. You're not complaining about it if you're an Oil King fan because the object is to win and you did that. Uh, but now you got to pay the price. And Luke Pierce takes over the bench at a time when it, you know, it's the, the team's going to be going the opposite direction in the standings. And, and I just hope that uh, the, the organization is patient. I'm sure they will be. They're not dumb. They know what, what junior hockey is all about. But I hope the fans are also patient and realize what's going to be happening here as well. But uh, Luke Pierce, great guy, really good coach. Uh, and I think that experience in Kootenai will uh, will do him well here now, especially after the last four years working uh, alongside uh, Brad Lauer. And certainly wish Brad Lauer success with the Winnipeg Jets as well. But as I mentioned, that does it for Season 17. Uh, thanks to all three guests that you heard on this uh, season finale episode. It'll be two weeks and then back for Season 18. Got the new intro done. Got the new uh, artwork done for you know, posting on Twitter and, and uh, social media and things like that. So we're ready to go when we come back. Just uh, two weeks to recharge the batteries. And uh, when I return, well, we'll be at right in the start of the 2022 World Junior Championship. The Holinka Gretzky Cup will be done. Training camps across the CJHL and the CHL will be open or opening very, very soon. And then, of course, uh, they've got the regular season. We'll have uh, the NCAA and the USHL, the the NAL, all of that. We're back in business shortly after the Pipeline Show returns in mid-August. So uh, looking forward to that. A quick thank you to uh, all patrons who have uh, signed up, including a couple of new ones here in the last uh, couple of days. And uh, maybe that's a low-tide uh, bump that I'm getting. But really appreciate the support. You can get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show as well. Just go to patreon.com slash show. Maybe there'll be some exclusive stuff in the next two weeks that I just post there. Since not going to have a show, uh, I don't know that it'll be audio stuff, but maybe there'll be some, some written content or, or what have you. Uh, maybe I'll give uh, patrons a sneak listen at the uh, Season 18 intro and things like that. So if you want, if that interests you, go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show all right in two weeks we'll be back until then go out and enjoy some summer watch the holinka gretzky cup if you can and then uh, get set for the world junior so that you and i can talk about it when the pipeline show returns for season 18 until then this has been the pipeline show brought to you by wilhock beef jerky my name is keith flaming see ya